We're continuing on here in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, just a few verses, but there's a lot of background that I want to share with you guys, a lot of history, the kind of the backstory, and it really makes a difference when we understand the culture uh, of this event and what was going on in people's hearts. So let me read to you, if I may, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, then we'll have a word of prayer. By the way, we're going to end our day today receiving communion together, and so we'll have some people up here holding the, the, the cup and the wafer, the bread, and we're going to invite you to come forward to receive communion. If, if it's hard for you to get up and, and walk or anything like that, if you want to just stay in your seat and raise your hand, there'll be a kind of a designated server that, that can come to you. But if you're able to come forward, uh, sometimes it's just nice to get up and, and move in, in, a, in, a, in an act of faith, if you will, just to move towards the Lord. And so uh, there's just something about that. I'm just saying I'm going to get up and I'm going to receive the elements. And so I want to encourage you to do that if you're able. So this morning, as I said, Mark chapter 2, verse 13, Jesus has been ministering and teaching and healing and casting out demons in the northern part of Israel. It's called this, There's a, a, a large lake there, actually, but it's called the Sea of Galilee. And on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, there was a city named Capernaum, And Capernaum was kind of a place where Jesus spent a lot of time. It was the home city of uh, Peter the Apostle. His home was there. Jesus spent a lot of time ministering there in that region. So we see him in chapter 2 in that region. Starting at verse 13, we read this. Then he went out again by the sea, the Sea of Galilee, freshwater lake. And all the multitude came to him and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me, and he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father. Lord, thank you that you would have a heart or a desire to call any of us. But Lord, you call all people to yourself. And um, you're perfect, Lord, in your love for humanity. You look past all this stuff, Lord. You look past all the trouble that we get ourselves into. You look past our failings and our sins and you look past all of it and you just invite us to come to you. You invite us to come and surrender and be changed by you. So, Lord, help us to see this today and help us to embrace it, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Levi's name was also Matthew and where he's more commonly known as the Apostle Matthew. Um, we see in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 13, Jesus going out and teaching again. And I, we just, we're going to keep seeing that in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus put a premium on teaching the Word of God. He wanted to instruct people. Um, kind of following that model, we want to be students here, students of the Bible. We don't want to be just vaguely familiar with it. I hope and pray you're reading uh, every day. Uh, there's, so, there's so many good uh, resources now that are available to us if you have internet access. Tremendous commentaries. Um, you, can buy, and you can buy and even get Bible programs for free. 
Um, daily devotionals that can be mailed into your email box. There's a number of pastors nationally that have a, you know, a year's worth of devotionals and you can subscribe to their, to their um, in web services and, and get inspirational words every single day. I just want to encourage you. You know, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every what? By every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so it's so important for us to have our minds changed. The Bible is not fake news. <laughs> it's good news. <laughs> it's true news. So we're getting blasted by fake news, aren't we? I don't know what to believe anymore, but I know I can believe this. And so I want to get it in my mind and in my heart. So it says in Psalm 119, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. That's how our lives get cleansed and changed, by listening to what God says and believing him and asking him to help us walk in his ways. So we see here in verse 13, Jesus out again, multitude comes to him. It was a common thing and he taught them. Verse 14, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. Now Capernaum was on a route going, uh, it was, on a, it was on, the, on a road where people would go from east to west. Also it was on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. So if you were coming up from the south and didn't want to kind of commute around the lake, you'd take a, a boat or something and you'd take your, your personal items or people or whatever, you'd go from the south part of the lake to the north part of the lake. If you're heading out to the Mediterranean Ocean, you would uh, get off your ship or off of your boat at Capernaum and then you would pay your taxes for traveling. You'd, you'd pay taxes for being a citizen of Israel. And so, uh, according to history, uh, the tax collectors had kind of a raised booth. I guess you kind of march up the stairs, you do your transaction with the tax collector, I guess march down. And, uh, and so that's kind of, that's why the tax booth here was situated in Capernaum. So, we also know, and you can see this in Matthew chapter 9, we're not going to turn there, but Levi was more commonly known as, as Matthew. So I'm going to call him Matthew from here on out. Matthew becomes a follower of Jesus. Later on, he becomes an apostle. When, when Jesus meets him here, he's a tax collector, and we're going to see that that's a, that was a really bad thing in those days. But he becomes a follower of Jesus. Later on, an apostle, which means Jesus sent him out to preach the good news to the world, and later on, a gospel author. author. Something real interesting here, in, in, uh, in turn over to Mark chapter 3, verse 17, if you will, just something... Uh, to kind of notice and maybe consider, don't know for sure, but I like to, I like to have a holy, holy suspicion about things sometimes and uh, have a kind of an investigative mind, kind of ponder things. In chapter 3, verse 17, we read this. Actually, yeah, chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, my goodness, back to 16. This is when Jesus was officially kind of naming his guys and he, and he said, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter... So Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. Verse 17, James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is the sons of thunder. So they were guys that kind of lost their temper a lot. So Jesus kind of gave them a new nickname. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, the other guys there. You can turn back to chapter 2. The only point that I wanted to make there was this that Jesus sometimes, you know, he changed guys' names. Now, you know, if you have friends, if you have loved ones, um, nicknames, right? And uh, nicknames are, are usually terms of endearment and, unless they're not. <laughs> so 
Sometimes I choose nicknames for my grandkids, and, and my nickname for them, my, my, grandma, my grandpa name is Poppy. So I'm Poppy to them, Grandma and Poppy. And sometimes I'll, I'll say, hey, how you doing? You know, tell them, and I could use the nickname. And what, one of my grandkids said recently, Poppy, don't call me that anymore. <laughs> he was ready to grow out of it, you know, so I needed to not use that nickname anymore. But Jesus would give his guys names. He would, give, he would change their names. Could it be, don't know, could it be that Jesus said, you know, you've been known by Levi, but you're not going to be known by Levi anymore. You're going to be known by Matthew. And the name Matthew means the gift of God. Now, if you know anything about tax collectors, nobody saw that. They probably saw tax collectors as the gift of hell, <laughs> gift of Satan. But Jesus, did he change his name? We're not told. But it's very possible that he did change his name because he did have uh, the habit of doing that. Also interesting about Matthew, he came from the tribe of Levi, which was the priestly tribe. And in those days, they had a, a, a one tribe out of the twelve, and if you were in that tribe, you could serve as a priest for the rest of the nation. You would go to the temple, present the sacrifices to God there. Only the tribe of Levi. Matthew was the tribe of Levi. He potentially could have been a priest. Instead, he turns out to be one of the worst things in the nation of Israel, a tax collector. Think about somebody that had all the potential to do and be the right thing. And they just, for whatever reason, squandered it, threw it away, and became the worst thing in the eyes of the people. Look at your notes here. Let's read about tax collectors. At that time, the Roman kingdom was an occupying force in Israel. So they were there. They didn't destroy the nation, but they controlled the nation. They allowed the Jews to practice religion, but they were greatly hated by the Jews. I mean, imagine if a foreign nation came into Napa and said, you guys can keep doing what you do, but we're in charge, and if you get out of line, we're going to throw you in jail or kill you. And you're going to pay taxes to us, and we're going to tell you what you can and can't do. That was what was going on in the nation of Israel at the time. Tax collectors placed bids with the Roman government to get the job of a tax collector. So they weren't just assigned. If you wanted to get a job as a tax collector, they made it known, hey, there's an opening, and then guys would say, I'll give the government of Rome this much money. I'll buy the position. So the the position went to the highest bidder. So Matthew here was very zealous to become a tax collector. He, He put in the highest bid. Their job was to, collect, to gather taxes from Jewish citizens to give to Rome. They didn't have a salary. They weren't paid a salary by the Roman government. So the Roman government might say, we want from every citizen that's passing through the toll booth in Capernaum, we want this much money. But if you want to get a little extra for yourself, we'll back you up. So basically, tax collectors would see how much they could hike up the price of the taxes being paid, they would give a portion to Rome and they'd stick the rest in their pocket. That's how they made their money. So they were considered thieves and extortioners uh, against their own people. This wasn't just against strangers. This was against their own bloodline. They were Jewish citizens who collaborated with the enemy. Look at your notes here. A guy named Lane said this. When a Jew entered the customs service or tax collecting... He was regarded as an outcast from society. He was disqualified as a judge or a witness in a court session. He was excommunicated from the synagogue, and in the eyes of the community, his disgrace extended to his family. So that's like somebody... I'm going to make a joke here. Going to work for the IRS. (laughs) I don't know that anybody here works for the IRS. I don't know that anybody in your family does. But let's say, if we were in Israel in that day, and we found out about it, you probably wouldn't be invited back to church because of who they are. That's how much the hatred was. 
Now, if you think maybe the IRS steals from you, and I'm not here to promote an argument, imagine if it was somebody working for a foreign government stealing from you, somebody that you went to high school with that is now saying, yeah, you owe me this much money. Wait a minute, we went to school together. We used to play ball together. We used to jump rope together, you know, girls. We used to do all this. We, used to, we were friends, and now you're working for them? That, that's the vibe. You have to understand the cultural, historical setting, or else you're not going to feel the tension of this thing. So that's what was going on there. A website called BibleInfo.com said this about tax collectors. Tax collectors had been known to assess duty payable at impossible sums and then offer to lend the money to travelers at a high rate of interest. Such was Matthew. In our day, they're known as loan sharks. They charge exorbitant amounts of interest to keep you out of trouble with the law, but then you're in trouble with them. And that's the kind of guy that Matthew was. Verse 14 in our text once again, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. Now you know, now you know what Jesus was looking at. Now you know as this group of people that Jesus had, a multitude was following Jesus because they loved, they loved what he was saying. Earlier on in the Gospel of Mark, it says he taught with authority unlike the religious leaders of the day. He was healing people, casting out demons, doing all these amazing things. He had this huge crowd. The people loved him. And then he turns around and looks at Matthew and says, you want to join me and be part of my team? There's tension there. Can you feel it? Can you understand it? The people are loving Jesus. If Jesus is is doing a a marketing thing and a a public relations thing and promoting himself on a tour to be popular uh, with the people of of Israel and that kind of thing, you don't choose a tax collector. That's going to wipe you out. I mean, all the the future speaking engagements are going to be canceled. Nobody's going to want to follow a guy that has a tax collector in his inner circle. And yet that's what Jesus was pleased to do. Follow me is not a casual invitation. In those days, they had rabbis. The rabbis were teachers, and the rabbis would have disciples that would group around them. And if you were a disciple of a rabbi, you would be with him as much as you could. You were learning all the time. There was deliberate teaching. There was incidental teaching. Something would come up. The rabbi would handle a situation. You'd watch the rabbi, how he handled the situation. You would learn. You're always learning from the rabbi, but basically you leave your life behind as much as you can and you're just committing to go travel with this rabbi. So when Jesus is saying, follow me, he's not just saying, come over for lunch. He's saying, I want you to leave your life as you know it. And let's make no mistake about it today. When Jesus calls a man or a woman to follow him, he says, I want you to leave your life as you know it. You're no longer in charge of your life. You have to surrender your life. Now, there's two sides to this story. The nice side is that Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves people that you hate. Jesus loves people that you don't like. And that's, kind of, that's kind of the wonderful side of the story if you're that person being loved. If you're not that person being loved, you go like, why would you love him? But then whoever he calls, here's the hard part, come and die. Come and die to yourself. Follow me. I'll give you eternal life, but come and die to yourself. Come and surrender. Trust me with everything. So Jesus is not inviting this guy just over to lunch. It's not a casual thing at all. 
As I said, in doing this, he's making enemies of many Jewish, Jewish citizens because they hated tax collectors. As we go through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see it over again. One of the phrases was tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and sinners all the time. And tax collectors are always at the front of the sentence because they were, they were the epitome of traitors. Jesus is inviting a culturally hated person to be a part of this group. Jesus is willing to call anyone. and It doesn't matter what you've done. He's willing to call you. He's willing to have you. I was also thinking about Matthew's hard heart now being softened by Jesus. Guys, I want you to just think about it. When you come to church, you've got to think. <laughs> we can provide coffee. If you need something more, maybe Red Bulls out in the foyer. But it's good to come to church and think. Now, what what kind of heart do you think Matthew had as a tax collector? Was he calloused towards people or was he soft towards people? He's calloused. He doesn't care. You come up to the booth, he says, you owe this much, I don't have it. Well, you're either going to have to go to jail or you're going to have to come up with next. Go borrow money from them over there next. He's just using people. He's just running through people. You have to become insensitive like that to be a a successful tax collector. You don't care about people's hardships. It's all about you getting money for the Romans and you getting money for yourself. That's all that it is. If you have a soft heart, you can't be a good tax collector. It just won't work because you have to steal from people. You have to look them in the eye. They know you're stealing. You know you're stealing and they can't do anything about it. And there's a Roman soldier in back of the tax collector backing you up with his spear and shield and all of that. You have to have a hard heart. What did Matthew have to go through? in order to say, you know what, my heart, my heart has to change. Did he realize how sick he was? I'm having to guess, that, yes, he realized how bad it had gotten. I don't want to get too much into my past, but I will say that I, I earlier days, I, I said in my life, well, I'll do this, but I won't do that. I'll draw a line right here, and you know what I did, right? Crossed over that line. Well, I didn't think I'd get here, but I'll, I'll draw another line, and I kept crossing over lines till the lines were gone. Quite honestly, until I was too afraid that I might die if I crossed another one. That's how we get that hard. That's how we get that insensitive. That's how we get that calloused. And I think Matthew must have known, I'm a sick man. I'm a sick individual here. I can keep making money, but there's something very wrong about this. I don't think he woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to start hating my fellow, my fellow Jews. He got there. That's usually how it happens with people. You get there by 100 or 500 or 1,000 decisions to be insensitive and to be selfish. That's how we get there. But Matthew's heart, I guess, once again, imagine how his hard heart is now being softened by Jesus. There was something about Jesus looking at him. Matthew, his station was there in Capernaum. He had heard what was going on undoubtedly. There's this man named Jesus. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's saying things we've never heard before. He welcomes everybody. How often had, had Matthew been invited into town? He probably had a house on the outside of town with just his few sin, sinful friends. But there's something that happened here when Jesus called him. Something that he hadn't felt maybe in years or never before. There was something that happened here. His heart was changing. Matthew here also was giving up a coveted position to follow Jesus. This would be a great financial loss. He's walking into an unsure thing. He's giving up a good money-making position that was backed by the occupying army of Rome. There was no guarantee about his financial future. Peter, James, and John could go back to fishing. 
They were fishermen. Doesn't work out with Jesus, we'll go back to fishing. Doesn't work out with Jesus, Matthew probably could not go get his job back because he may be considered a traitor by the Roman government. He's given it up, you guys. There's a theme here in the gospel. If you want to follow Christ, you need to be willing to give it up. God does not demand perfection from us. God doesn't demand sinlessness from us. He he desires and he does say this, if you want to follow me, you need to be willing to give it all up. Anything that collides with me, that conflicts with my plan for your life and my mission for your life, you need to be willing to give it back, to give it up. Do we go back and forth sometimes? Yeah, we do. But every time you go on the wrong side, you say, oops, sorry, I'm back again. And it's that constant, repetitive returning to Christ that's what matters, okay? I'm going to say something here that some people aren't going to like. I probably do that every week. Let me do a good drink of water. I understand, I understand addictions. I understand alcoholism. I understand that stuff. And I understand, and this, by the way, this is all really good news in my opinion, okay? I understand, I understand why people go to 12-step programs. I do. And I think, and I have a pastor friend in Camarillo, the pastor of Camarillo, Calvary Chapel, who got saved, met Christ through a 12-step addiction program. So I know that God uses those programs, and I know they're based upon scriptural things, and I know there's a lot that's good about them. But I only have one criticism that I'm going to talk about right now, and it's this. And I've, and, I've, and I've worked with people that have gone through the programs, and so I'm not declaring war on anybody, okay? I, just, I, just, I, think, I think there's something that sometimes we miss when we get in the mindset of, I've been clean 30 days, and oops, I had a beer. Now I have to go back to the first step. Or I've been drug-free for a year, and oops, I relapsed. Now I have to go back to step one. And, and I just thought about it, and I thought, you know, in, in Jesus, and even in, even, in the, even in the 12-step programs, please receive this as, I really mean this for good, okay? You're not back at step one. You had 30 days sober. You relapsed, but you know what? You're not the same person you were 30 days ago. You're 30 days better than that. You guys with me? The person that relapsed after a year, okay, you relapsed, you blew it, okay? But you're not back at step one. You're a year better than you were when you started, you're a year stronger than you were when you started. Now keep going. But I just, I, I, my heart gets sad sometimes. I think if people think, oops, I guess I haven't accomplished anything. I'm back at step one. You're not back at step one. You're better than you were when you started. Does that make sense? And so I, I, I am, if, if you're in the, one of those programs and God has you there, fantastic. I'm all for it. Go for it. I just don't want people to feel defeated when they're not perfect because guess what? You're not. You're not perfect. We're all going to have relapses in our thinking, in our desires, in our activity, in our words, and all those kinds of things. But you know what? If you started here and you relapse over there, guess what? You're that far ahead of the game. Are you guys with me? Do you understand? Does that make sense? Yes or no? So don't think, oops, I have to go back to, start, I have to, go back to square one. You're, you'll never go back to square one. You're never going to go back to square one because you're a better man or a better woman because you've already made some progress. I don't know how I got off in this. I don't even know how my notes go. Matthew, for Matthew, I don't know even what, what launched me off on that. I just guess it needed to be said. I want you to be encouraged if you're in a program. It's not about relapsing, or it's not about not relapsing. It's about keep going forward. Keep going forward, right? You guys with me? Keep going forward. 
doesn't matter what we've done in the past. And this, maybe this is where my, my brain connected. It didn't matter what Matthew had done. Matthew, I know what you are. I know that you're hated. I know you, probably your family despises you and they probably got kicked out of the synagogue or are stared at when they come to synagogue because of you. I don't care. Come and be a part of my life. Come and follow me. Come and join my team. It doesn't matter what you've done. And so Matthew was... I have to think that getting that kind of invitation had to be incredible from Jesus. And Jesus is going to go on to say, it's not healthy people that need healing, it's sick people. And I have to think that Matthew is realizing, I've been sick. And I'm tired of being sick. I don't want to be sick anymore. Matthew's giving up a very coveted position to follow Jesus. There's no backup plan. There's no plan B. He's burning his bridges. Have you guys heard of Hernan Cortez? He came from Spain. He arrived in Veracruz, Mexico in 1519. He came to conquer the Aztecs and the, and, the, and the Mayans. And when they landed on the beach, he told his soldiers, burn the ships. We're not going back. And they burned the ships. There is no escape. We are here and we're moving forward. And so basically here, Matthew, to follow Jesus, is burning the ships. There's no guarantee that he's going to go. And if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to just burn all the stuff that's behind you. Let the Lord ignite it and just get rid of it. Walk away from it and go forward in faith. And this is what Matthew is doing here. Now look at, look at Jesus in Matthew's home, verse 15. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples and there were many and they followed him. This seems to have been Matthew's farewell dinner. He's leaving the old life to follow Jesus. He invites his friends, seemingly. That seems like this is what's happening. The sinners are comfortable with Jesus. Now, at some point, Jesus is going to tell them, hey, guys, I'm glad you're comfortable with me, but you're sick. Maybe a good thought for us, as we who are followers of, of Jesus Christ, we who are Christians, are sinners comfortable with you? Now, may they not be comfortable with us because we don't tell them the truth. May they just be comfortable with us because they feel so loved. I was thinking about some of the things, some of the ways that our churches are evaluated uh, in America today and in Eastern Europe and that. You know, sometimes churches are evaluated by, man, they got the best preacher. Oh, they have have amazing worship team. I mean, having a good preacher is important. Having wonderful anointed worship leaders. They have a great kids ministry. That's great too. They have a fantastic building. They have the best coffee bar. Those are usually the things that you hear. Or the pastor's so funny or whatever the case may be. I was thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if people said, I want to go back to Cornerstone. Why? Is the pastor amazing? Eh, yeah. How about the worship team? Oh, they're pretty good. Allie's really good and Laura and the other... Yeah. How about the building? Well, it's kind of old. They have pews. They have pews. How about the kids' ministry? Jen Neme's amazing, but... You know, it's not as funny as every. You know what I'm saying? How about the parking? Ooh, parking. Why do you want to go back there? Because those people love me so much. How about that? How about if Cornerstone was full because when they came here they were loved like no other church in town? Not for us to be better than anybody, just because they came and they are sinners and they're like, they know we're sinners. They know what we're at and they love us. Guys, I want to encourage you. This is our church, amen? It's the Lord's church. It's not my church. It's not the pastoral staff church. It's our church. 
And I, I want this to be true in my life. I, I want sinners to be okay with me, even when I'm telling them, man, I'm, I love you, you're great, you're great, a funny guy, blah, blah. Did I mention you're sick? <laughs> in fact, you're sick unto death. And somehow Jesus could do that with people. And I just think for me, it's something I need to learn more and something that each one of us needs to learn more. To be able to have sinners... The worst of, of whatever you think, corporate sinners or the people living under the bridge, doesn't matter from the white collar to the blue collar to no collar, to have sinners comfortable enough to say, you know what, I want to be with them. I like when I run into them around town. They always tell me the truth, but boy, I sure do feel loved. That should, that should, dear brothers and sisters, that should mark our church. More than preaching or worship or kids ministry or building or parking lot or what are those coffee things that we have out there? Nierig, Herig, Burig, Nierig. <laughs> I know how to get us off topic that fast. <laughs> Love should mark our church more than anything. Yes, loving sinners, not becoming like them, not letting them pull us down, but helping to lift them up. And Jesus did that, and these people were comfortable. I want you to consider. These guys were not used to being welcomed by a rabbi. Rabbi were, expect, were respected teachers in town, everywhere they went. Some of Jesus' followers were national zealots who hated Rome. I want you to consider what Jesus did. There was three guys that are named that we know were zealots for, Ju- for Israel. Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jude, also named as Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. They hated the Romans. These were the kind of guys that would go into a crowd in Jerusalem with daggers like this, walk up to a Roman soldier, stab him, and run out into the crowd. They hated the Romans. And Jesus had three of those guys. And then he invites Matthew. (laughs) Jesus, what are you doing? You obviously didn't take leadership classes. He's inviting people that hate each other to be his team. There's something there for us to learn. Amen? Guys, I mean, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, if you love people that love you, what credit is that to you? Don't even tax collectors do that? Don't even sinners love the people that love them? We're called to love our enemies. We're called to love all people. Not compromise, not become like them. We're called to love them. May sinners be comfortable around us and enough to listen to us and believe us when we say, you know, I care about you, but you're sick. And Jesus was able to do that. Matthew invited the fellow sinners to meet Jesus. I have to think that Matthew was experiencing unconditional love and approval like he hadn't in years or maybe in his life. Jesus was inviting these guys to follow him, but not to stay the same. He's not just hanging out with them. Jesus has a goal in back of hanging out with them. Yes, he's hanging out with them, but there's a goal. He wants to see them healthy. But that happens through fellowship and conversation and being with people. Jesus in Matthew 11:19 was called the friend of sinners, and I love that. So, where are we at so far? Verse 13. He went out again to the sea. All the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And, Jesus, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, that stinking tax collector, my paraphrase, and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him, and all the disciples gave Jesus a dirty look. Verse 15, now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples and there were many, many of the sinners wanted to be with Jesus. 
And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Now, these guys, the scribes and the Pharisees, they are the spiritually self-righteous conservatives. These were the conservatives of the day. Politically conservative, religiously conservative, very law-abiding, very, in, very much into like, I follow the letter of the law, I'm, I'm very dutiful, I keep my duty to God. That was, their, that was their emphasis. They were very unhappy about Jesus eating with these guys. And you need to understand something else. Eating with somebody in that day meant closeness, togetherness. It was a cultural intimacy. So this isn't just like standing around and eating at the taco truck out on Soskal. Although if you want to meet me there... <laughs> This isn't just a casual taco on the sidewalk. This is closeness in that culture. And Jesus was willing to be identified culturally and emotionally and psychologically as close with these sinful people, and the religious leaders didn't like it. The name Pharisees means separated ones. And that's how they saw themselves, guys. They saw themselves as, if I'm going to be close to God, I need to separate myself from all the bad people. That's how they determined They were going to be close to God by separating themselves from bad people, sinful people. They obeyed the laws of God externally, not internally. They didn't have love or mercy for anyone. They obeyed outwardly. They were inwardly spiritually dead. Can we look at Matthew chapter 23 real quick? We're not going to read all those verses that I wrote out, but turn in your Bibles to the left if you would. I want you to get a feel for these guys. We're going to keep seeing them over and over in in the Gospel of Mark. We're looking now at Matthew chapter 23. What, boy, this, you just don't want your name on this list here. These guys were just terrible people. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They have, they have authority. Whatever they tell you to do, observe, that observe. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move with one of their fingers. They do their works to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Religious clothing. They love the best places at the feast, the best place in the synagogues. They love the greetings in the marketplace to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher Christ and you are brethren. Skipping down to, uh, ooh, let's see, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Let's just stop there. There's, there's a lot of verses. Go home and read it and just... Put sad faces on your Bible everywhere in that section. What would be the modern equivalent of somebody shutting, shutting, the kingdom, shutting the door to the kingdom of God to somebody in our age? It would be something like this. Someone comes into a church, you smell alcohol in their breath, they're not dressed particularly nice, they've obviously been out in the street, and, and this kind of stuff happens, guys, and may it never happen among us. And somebody says... You're not showing respect to God. You better go out and clean up before you come back into this place and show some respect for God. And so this person who has said, you know what, I need the Lord. I'm sick. I'm a mess. I need God's mercy. I need God's grace. They're met at the door by the Pharisee committee 
who says, you don't look good enough, you don't act good enough, you don't sound good enough, you don't smell good enough to be here. Go out and clean yourself up and then come back when you're serious. And they have shut the door to the kingdom of God of that person. That happens in our day, doesn't it? You guys know it does. What's another way? Maybe, maybe a, little more, a little more minor. Let's say they get past the ushers. And then they come and sit next to you. And you don't greet them, and you don't love them. And, and when it comes time to pray, you don't pray with them, and you just turn away. We're shutting the kingdom of God to people up when we do those things in our own self-interest. And these are the guys that were criticizing Jesus for sitting down and being intimate with sinners. And Jesus doesn't care. Dear brothers and sisters, this is part of the heart of the gospel. We have to love people. Not just tolerate them and not just do some kind of duty. We need to love people. And I know we have our limitations and a lot of us a lot of us, and we're all, we're all working through things and we all have our emotional issues and we can't do everything for everybody. I'm not suggesting that. But when God taps you on the shoulder and says, you know what, you need to go love that person, then go love that person. Don't say no to Jesus. Don't say no to Jesus. A guy at Cal State Fullerton didn't say no to Jesus and he kept bugging me till I finally re- rededicated my life to Christ. guy drove me crazy. He was like a hound dog chasing a possum or a raccoon or something. He's everywhere I was, he showed up. Leave me alone, Dave Metzler. <laughs> Red-haired guy, glasses, played alto saxophone, just like me. Would not let up. And I wasn't too lovable. And that's what we need to be doing. Jesus was happy to answer their question. Why is Jesus sitting with these people? How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it and he said, Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I didn't call, come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. Ray Stedman, listen to what he says. Jesus' answer is very revealing. He actually agrees with their remarks. He says, in effect, you're right. They're sick and hurting troubled men. Their style of life has damaged them deeply. They don't see life rightly. They're covered up by many, they're covering up many evils. And, many, and they are false in many ways. You're right. These men are sick. Where else would the doctor be? That is his argument. I've come to heal men. And therefore, where they are hurting, where they are hurting, that's where I'm needed. Now, incidentally, the Pharisees were also sick, but they didn't know it. If you think that you're healthy, then you don't go to see the doctor because you think that you're healthy. Or if you think, you know, there's something kind of funny with my hand and, um, you know, it's kind of got, the, got to shake a little bit and everything like that, uh, but I'll be okay. I don't want to see a doctor. Doctors always just find something wrong with you anyway, right? So I just, I'll just get a brace and after three months the hand is shaking more. I don't want to see a doctor. Maybe just a little... You know, I'll have a little beer with breakfast. That'll calm me down. And, and the, the pro- we just want to fix the shaking hand. The problem is that you have some neurological disease. We just want to fix our anger. Or we just want to fix uh, our indifference. Or we just want to fix our sexual immorality. But the problem is that we have a disease called sin. 
And we just want to treat the symptoms. And sometimes we don't even want to admit that there's symptoms. It was my parents' fault or something else. No, each one of us has a disease and it's called sin. And until Jesus comes and makes you born again, it's going to kill you forever. It'll be an eternal death. And all the symptoms are manifested and we go to meetings and things. I'm not against going to meetings, by the way. Meetings can be very helpful and God can use lots of those things. But guys, we are often all about treating symptoms. Jesus wants to get to the heart of the disease, which is called sin. He died for our sins so we could not be judged forever. And he also died so that we could be freed from our sins and healed from our sins and empowered to not be giving in to our sins. He's a transforming God, amen? He's a transforming God. And Jesus said, well, where else did you expect me to be? These guys are sick. Why why are you angry that the doctor has come to the patient's? The Pharisees hated the patients. There's something interesting here. Kind of skip down here. Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus also quoted something from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. He said it to the leaders. He said, I want you to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, look, you're looking at this all wrong. In those days in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were commanded to bring sacrifices to the Lord. They were animal sacrifices, which is kind of disgusting for us to think about. But sin requires that innocent blood be shed. And in those days, those animal sacrifices were prefiguring the coming of Christ. And so it was appropriate. And it was a duty. So the religious leaders are happy to do the duty. I'm happy to come and sacrifice, but don't ask me to love someone. Don't ask me to have mercy on the sick. Don't ask me to be nice to that woman. Do you know what? I've heard stories about that woman. Don't ask me to to be compassionate to a sinner. And that's what Jesus is correcting them on, guys. He says, you know what? You follow the rules, but you don't care about people. Was Matthew attracted to Jesus because he followed the rules or because he loved him? (laughs) Because he loved him. That's what has to happen. When you have time, read Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and Romans chapter 6, verse 16 to 23. Romans 3, 23 says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's sick, guys. Everybody's sick. Our sports heroes and our, and our you know, musicians and our Uh, politicians and our bankers and our judges and our president and our not president and everybody's sick with sin and sin leads to death the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus and Jesus came to die for our sins to cancel the penalty of sin and then he came to indwell our lives to heal us When we are talking to people about Jesus, why do some of them feel they have no need for Jesus? It's because they don't think they're sick. It's really interesting to me that when we go to Mexico, most of our work is done with the poor people there because they know they're in trouble. Jesus even said this, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because they don't think they're sick. Why? Because they have enough money to do anything they want. 
Can I encourage you, if you're not rich today, you have a spiritual advantage. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Start giving money away. (laughs) You have a spiritual advantage if if you're poor and don't have riches. The Beatles got it right, right? But can't buy me love? (laughs) All all you need is love, the love of God. We're going to ask the the musicians to come back up. I I really want to encourage you. There's some applications here for us as we kind of head towards communion. If you're going to come and serve communion, why don't you guys come up right now too and get the the plates and the, the utensils, if you will, and be standing here so we can serve our congregation. So there's different people in the room today. There's people like Matthew and you've made a mess and everybody hates you. Jesus doesn't. And he's calling you to himself. So kind of get it out of your mind and just quit thinking and worrying about what people think about you. Jesus loves you. And Jesus is calling you. Christians were saved but kind of unwilling to sit with sinners, you know what? You need to rethink it. Come and sit with sinners. Don't be pulled down by them, but help lift them up. Help lift them up. And then finally, guys, look at me. Don't look at these beautiful people down here. I'm the man with the microphone. I'm the man behind the curtain here. Just think Wizard of Oz for a second. Finally, so there's three groups of people. There's the Matthews in the room that think, I can't come to the Lord. Yes, you can. Just be willing to say no to it all. Second, there's uh, Christians that we need to learn how to sit with sinners and love them. Thirdly, we don't want to be Pharisees that are looking down at people. We don't want to be Pharisees that read our Bibles and and memorize them and give to the church and serve. And even these guys up here, or even the pastor, we don't want to be Pharisees that say, you know what, I do all those things right, Lord, but please don't ask me to love that guy. We've immediately stepped over into Pharisee land. We need God to save us from that, right? Amen? We need God to save us from that. Let me pray. We're going to invite you today. If you've never said yes to Christ and you want to, come forward and just come up here, take the the bread, take the cup, and just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Here I am. Receive me. I'm going to follow you. If you're a Christian, you're coming forward today and saying, Lord, I've, I've leaned towards separatism. I'm trying to get away from all those pleasant, unpleasant people. God, forgive me. Bring me a sinner. <laughs> Just go downtown. They're all over the place. <laughs> Bring me a, by the way, you live with them too. <laughs> Bring me a sinner to love. And maybe there's even someone here that says, you know what, God, I've been a Pharisee. Forgive me. Let's pray together right now. We're going to close with a song. We're going to close with communion. Lord, thank you so much, Jesus, that you love, that you're a friend of sinners, Lord, willing to receive any, any soul that will come to you, any soul that will hear the truth. You're willing to receive them. And you're just not nice. You, you make conditions for their salvation that they would be willing to forsake it all. And so, Lord, help us, God. Help us to love people like you do. Help us to trust you. Help us to forsake it all.